0: Uh, if you guys can, take your Bibles, get them out, open them up to Acts chapter 10. I ordered 10 new Bibles for us to have at the park with us, and I left them in my in my front door in my entryway and just blew by them, so get your own Bibles, people. I mean, let's... I'm just kidding. Uh, we'll bring them, bring them next week, but uh, if you're able to, get those Bibles out. Very excited to look at Acts chapter 10 and the story of Cornelius and... And as we do, it just it might get kind of warm, and just feel free to find a shady spot at any point and come down here, get close. It's all right. Um, or if you're getting cold, to move out into the sun. It's all right to um, just kind of shift as you need to with the temperature. But Acts chapter ten is one of my favorite passages in the book of Acts. Such an incredible work that the Lord does uh, in Peter and in Cornelius, and uh, something that kind of sets a precedent for Christianity uh, and Christianity's future. And uh, we we left off last week Pastor Chris taught and uh, just saw the great work the Lord did in healing uh, Aeneas and Dorcas and just Peter stepping out and being bold in uh, just healing and preaching the gospel. And uh, We ended out chapter 9 that uh, verse 43 the very last verse of the chapter says that uh, Peter stayed many days in Joppa with Simon, a tanner. Uh, so we have him uh, hanging out in kind of a, a grody place. I use the word grody. I think that's from the 80s, you know. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been into a taxidermist shop, um, but uh, not the most pleasant place to be. You know, maybe they've got a showroom with some of their mounts and some of their heads and things like that, you know, and that's pretty neat to see. But if you've ever been back to where, you know, they're tanning the hides, you know, or they're ripping out the flesh and stripping off the, you know, the skins and things and they're dipping it in the different, you know, chemicals and um, it it's not super pleasant. Has a slight hint of roadkill, uh, you know, aroma there. And for Peter, who's a Jew to be around so much dead stuff, you know, uh, this is a bit stretching for him, but the Lord is, is getting a ball rolling for chapter 10 for what he's going to be doing in Peter's life. Something's going to be happen that uh, I think it's Bon Jovi that says, Oh, we're halfway there, you know, uh, cause it's like what God's going to do in chapter 10. It's like, all right, Pete, we're halfway there. Pretty soon he's going to be living on a prayer. Pretty soon he's going to take Cornelius' hand. Okay, anyway, I'm taking that way too far. But But it's really cool to see in Acts chapter 10 that the good news of the gospel of Jesus, the salvation that uh, takes us out of our sins and brings us into the kingdom of light, into the son of his love, that gives us the hope of heaven and the promise for all eternity that we'll be with our creator who loves us and, and gave himself for us, that our sins will be washed away and we're made a new creation. That wonderful story is for all races. In Acts chapter 8, I don't know if you remember, uh, that Noah had three sons. Uh, Noah who built the ark. You know, he had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And, uh, in Acts chapter 8, we see the gospel go to a descendant of Ham. Uh, He was the Ethiopian eunuch. And then in Acts chapter 9, the gospel brought salvation to a descendant of Shem, who was a Jew. And then in Acts chapter 10, the gospel comes to a descendant of Japheth uh, as the gospel comes to a Roman here. And so uh, God is going to use the apostle Peter to open up the door to the non-Jews or what we call Gentiles. If you remember, Jesus told Uh, Peter in Matthew 16, that I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom and on you, Peter, on you, the rock, I'm going to build my church. And here we see Peter really being a rock and helping form and develop the broad universal church of Jesus that goes beyond Judaism and goes to every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. In Romans 1 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God into salvation for everyone who would believe for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. I am super thankful. Uh, I've, I've never done one of those DNA tests, you know, where. You know, you shove the swab up your nose. And I think since COVID, not many people have been getting those DNA tests. They're like, I'm done with the swab. Done with it for a while, you know. But uh, I love Chris and Shannon Newell. Raise your hand real quick, Chris and Shannon. Chris and Shannon, you guys, they're some of my favorite people. And every time I'm around him, I learn something new about them, especially Chris. I mean, this guy is like a badminton champion, you know. Uh, but it was so funny. They were in my home group a few years ago. Can I just share this? this is it okay? Okay, I'm going to do it. I can't tell. You're too far away. I think you're nodding. So uh, so Chris and Shannon, they, they're like, oh, at home group. Oh, we got one of those DNA tests done. We're going to find out what we are. And I'm like looking at him. I'm like, I can tell you what you are. Um, and uh, it was so fun because, you know, the next week Chris comes back and, you know, he's like, well, you know, something like, I'm, I've got a lot of, like, English in me and, like, specifically like Wales, you know, and I'm like, oh, you don't say, I never would have guessed. It's incredible. And uh, And then he says, and I'm 4% Nigerian. And I'm like, that is the best thing I've ever heard in my entire life. I mean, Chris, just total cowboy, buckaroo, you know, just works cows, builds fence, and badminton on the weekends, you know? And so when we pray for our nations and we pray for Nigeria, we're going to have Chris come up and pray for his people. <laughs> but uh, the next week, Shannon's like, ooh, my test came in. And uh, we're like, oh, this is so great. What are you? she's like, you know, I'm, I don't remember it exactly, but it was like, you know, I'm, I'm Welsh, you know, or something. you don't say, you know, and then she's like, and I'm 2% Nigerian. And I'm like, this is the second best thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And then she says, and I'm like 4% Jewish, you know, Hebrew. And I'm like, this is, this is so incredible. Never, you know, never would have thought. And so uh, I've never done one of those tests for myself. Um, but I know that I've, I'm a Heinz 57 to the extreme, you know, and I'm really like proud about my Omaha Indian heritage. And I've got like a great, great, great grandpa who was the last chief. And of course he was half French and had three wives and this and that. He ended up getting saved. But, um, I was really sad when my aunt took one of those DNA tests and she found out she was like way less Omaha than any of us had ever imagined. And I was like. I'm not even going to take it, because I'm going to be disappointed and find out, like, you're not even from this family, you know? Uh, Break my heart. But, I know that I'm a whole lot of Gentile. I can tell you that. I know that I'm a whole lot of not Jew, okay? And so, Acts chapter 10 is so wonderful to me, because I see that Jesus loves me. I see that Jesus loves us. All the way over here, you know, across the pond, you know, and across the the Appalachians, and across the prairies, and across the plains, and I feel like there's a song about America, from the New York Islands, this man was made, you know, uh, but it, the gospel's for us, here in Primeville, Oregon, the gospel's for you, forgiveness of sins is for you, reconciliation to your creator, relationship restored, you guys, it is for you, and so, let's rejoice in that today, hallelujah, give him glory, as we sing so much today, now, In verses 1 through 8 of our chapter, God prepares Cornelius to hear the gospel. So let's look at verses 1 and 2. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. So we read of this town called Caesarea or Caesarea. Um, it's, we'll read of it a few more times throughout the book of Acts. If you have a map in the back of your Bible, you might flip back there or even Google it on your smartphone. Uh, Caesarea Martima. And uh, that means by the sea. About you know midway up the, the coast of Israel is this beautiful port city called Caesarea. And it was uh, turned into this giant, incredible harbor. By Herod. Those of us that are going to Israel in November, we're going to go to Caesarea, and we're going to go in this uh, 3D movie theater, and it's going to show a time lapse of Caesarea throughout the history and the building and the destroying and the wars that happened, all the way to the great uh, archaeological discoveries that are found today. But uh, there was this uh, a place of uh, that Pilate had, his soldiers camped out there, um, and, the, and the regiments were there. And one of the man over a hundred of these soldiers, was a man named Cornelius there in the Italian regiment. So a Roman legion of soldiers of full strength consisted of 6,000 men, and it was divided into 10 different cohorts of 600 men each. And then within those 600 men cohorts, there would be six centurions. A centurion commanded a hundred men. And uh, the Roman historian Polybius described centurions like this. They were not so much venturesome daredevils as natural leaders of a steady and sedated spirit. Not so much men who will initiate attacks and open the battle as men who will hold their ground when hard-pressed and be ready to die at their post. They were kind of the NCO of the day, a non-commissioned officer. But they're always mentioned in favorable lights in the scripture. You read about centurions in Luke chapter 7, Matthew 27. In Luke 27, it was a centurion that had great faith ...for a servant to be healed, or in Matthew 27, a centurion cried out as Jesus was on the cross, truly this is the Son of God. Uh, one man dubbed Cornelius as the Italian Stallion, you know, uh, that he's going to be an incredible man that we read about today. In verse 2, some of his, um, some of his uh, characteristics or qualities were that he was a devout man, one who feared God with all his household who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. So let's pull those great qualities apart here real quick. He was number one, devout, which means he was pious. He was godly. He was reverent, uh, a reverence that's exhibited in all kinds of wonderful actions. You know, uh, kind of in the Calvary Chapel movement, coming through the Jesus movement and and the great um, movement of grace that is Calvary Chapel, we kind of have gone away from any association with religion. We often, you know, say the phrase, uh, it's not about religion, man, it's about relationship. And I understand the heart behind that. If you've been involved in in a legalistic, religious, you know, bondage, then it's such a wonderful, fresh breath of fresh air to realize that, Uh, that a walk with Jesus is a relationship with Jesus. And yet, kind of, we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater because uh, biblically, religion is actually a good and wonderful thing. Piety is a wonderful thing. It speaks of the disciplines, and it speaks of the great intention and care that go into holiness and purity and worship and awe and reverence and fearing the Lord and hating evil and giving them the glory that's due to his name, both in... Uh, in ceremony and also in just lives lived in, in honor for him. And so we see Cornelius was one of these guys that was religious, he was devout, devoted, uh, is a great way to put it. He was a fearer of God, which means he hated evil, as the Psalms say. Uh, and, and this was, uh, modeled in his whole household. Which shows that he was a good leader. He was a great spiritual leader of his home. As a husband, as a father, all of his home were devout, were fearers of the Lord. He was a generous giver. And he prayed to God always. He was a man of consistent prayer. And so he was basically on the road to becoming an adopted Jew. When you read the Old Testament... Uh, Gentiles could come and become adopted in and grafted into the family uh, often something that hindered that from happening was that uh, an individual had to be circumcised before they could become a Jew and that actually held off a lot of men from becoming Jews you, know, you know I'm 40 I've gone this long I think I'll just go right up to the point of becoming a Jew and uh, and that may be what Corn- where Cornelius found himself but Prayer and almsgiving, two major expressions of Jewish piety showing that he's devoted. Now, this guy seems like he's got it all together, right? He's a religious guy, a pious guy, a devoted guy. He's a, a man of prayer. He's generous. These are all marks of practically Christians, you know? He probably was born again already, you might be thinking. What is happening with this guy? Was Cornelius independently righteous? Was Cornelius already saved before he'd ever heard about Jesus? Well, we know a few things that might help solve this mystery to us. We know that Romans 3.10 tells us that there is no good man. Okay, Romans chapter 3 verses 10 through 18 tells us that there is no one that is just inherently good so that the Lord would just grant them salvation because they're just good people. You know, you guys ever hear anyone talk about someone, he's good people, you know, she's good people, you know, Cornelius, he's good people. Uh, Romans tells us that there's no one who is inherently just and righteous, that they would need no atonement for their sins and they would just be able to waltz on into the throne room of God in holiness and purity just because of their own good natured, good works. Okay. Um, we know that from really the whole of scripture. We know that from the book of Romans trumpets that, uh, and hammers that extra hard. We know from John six forty four that no one comes to Jesus unless he's drawn by the father. Okay. So there's this sovereign action of God that draws men to himself. At the same time, uh, Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen tells us that you will seek me and find me when you search me with search for me with all of your heart. So while it is true that God sovereignly draws, elects, and predestines men and women towards Himself, there's also this crazy, mysterious aspect at the same time of men, you know, going towards the Lord and being drawn towards Him uh, and seeking Him with their whole heart. And uh, Proverbs 8.17 says that I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. So it seems that Cornelius is in a place where uh, he, he's, you know, yes, God is sovereignly drawing him. And at the same time, he's diligently seeking after the Lord. As a Roman, he comes from the land of many gods. And he's seen all of the different options out there in the smorgasbord of deities. And yet, for some reason, his heart has been drawn towards the God of the Jews, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's come to the point where he's darn near a Jew, just probably hasn't been circumcised yet. We know Cornelius was not already saved before Peter came. If Cornelius was going to die at the beginning part of Acts chapter 10, Cornelius would have gone to hell and perished there in all eternity. When you look one chapter over in Acts eleven 14, they're retelling this story of Cornelius. And it says that uh, Peter will tell Cornelius the words which he and his household will be saved. So at the beginning part of Acts, Cornelius and his household are not saved yet. They're dead in sin and trespasses. There's none righteous, no, not one. And the wrath of God towards sin is upon Cornelius and his household. yet there's a great mystery in the midst of this because uh, we're going to see in just a little bit that Cornelius's um, uh, alms, let's see, I believe we read it. Let me go back just a little bit in my notes. Uh, He gave alms uh, generously before the Lord, and then if you look down in verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, and when he observed him, he was afraid, and he said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. And so we have this uh, bit of a paradox and a bit of a mystery because we know that any man apart from Jesus Christ is not a good man. Let me just read Romans 3, 10 through 18. You might even flip over there yourself. It's the next book of the Bible going over from Acts. Acts uh, Romans three ten. It says, it's written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands, just in and of themselves. They just... Understand God. They understand the way of salvation. They under, just inherently they want to follow after God, say no to sin, say yes to the Lord, to righteousness. There's none who seeks after God just in and of themselves. They just have a mission to just know God. Just like from, from before I was born, I was in my mom's womb and I just wanted to know God and then I was born and all I did was seek after the Lord with all of my heart. Romans tells us no, like no one inherently had, has that because of our sinful nature. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There's none who does good. What about no, not one, it said. What about no, not one? Okay, uh, their throat is an open tomb. Very graphic here. With their tongues, they practice deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Someone once said, they have asps lips. <laughs> no, asps, asps lips, asp lips. Mad lips, yes. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. and the way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. So you have that strong, like, absolute condemnation of the sinfulness of man. Alright? Radical depravity. And then you have... Cornelius, who's a bit of an enigma, he's a bit of a mystery. You have this angel showing up and saying, Hey, lips you know, That was his nickname. <laughs> says, Hey, your prayers and your alms have come up before the Lord as a memorial. What is going on? You got a guy from Romans chapter 3, essentially, who there's something going on in him where he's not saved. And yet he's drawing near to the Lord with his whole heart. And the Lord is responding to that. The Lord is responding to that. I will draw near to you if you draw near to me. And so the Lord draws near to him. And so we have what is beginning here, God calling Cornelius to himself. Okay? It's going to go on to say... uh, Verse 5, now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging with Simon a tanner. Get ready. It's going to stink to high heaven when you... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel spoke to him and departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually so when he'd explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Okay, so there's there's this uh, this instruction given to Cornelius that that there's a man that needs to talk to you. He's going to give you words that you need to hear, so that you and your household can be saved, saved from the wrath of God, saved from your sins, saved from the consequences of your sinful condition. And, and the Lord cares enough, he's like a Hallmark card, he cares enough to send his very best, right? He's going to send Peter uh, up to, to speak to his family the words of this life. An interesting thing here is, and I thought it, maybe you thought it, why didn't the angel just tell him? You know, like, hey, you know, your alms and memorials have come up for, uh, as a memorial before the Lord. Um, hey, I got something to tell you. It's called the gospel. I know normally dudes do it, but Peter's like a whole 10 hours away. I'm just going to take care of it this time, you know? But in God's great plan of evangelism, I don't know why he does it this way, but he uses the very people that have been redeemed from the miry pit to go and pull people up out of the muck and pull them out of the miry pit. Just as that Psalm 40 says... I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and he heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon the rock and he put a new song in my heart and many will hear it. Many will see this and many will fear the Lord from it. So then you get a guy like Peter who's been pulled up out of the quicksand, and now he gets to go tell Cornelius and his family about the great saving ways of God, and they would get saved. You know, just this week, talking with my little kids, I've got a six-year-old, I've got a seven-year-old going on eight, and and the questions come like, you know, do do angels, you know, need forgiveness? That was this week, you know, Does an angel need forgiveness? Or do angels sin was the question. Do angels sin? It's like, okay, so, you know, you have that they exalted themselves against the Lord. Uh, You have Lucifer and the third of the angels that he drew away with them. They exalted themselves in pride and wanted to be worshiped and wanted the glory. Seems like sin to me. And yet angels don't get the same uh, treatment that humans do and that humans Though we've exalted ourselves against the Lord, though we've de God, though we've worshipped created things rather than the creator, God in his grace and mercy, who created us in his image and gave us special created rights and status and place among all of created things, he's come after us to redeem us, that his blood and his grace would extend this far. You don't see angels getting that same treatment. So angels aren't the ones that are sharing the gospel. They never experienced it. Peter tells us that the gospel is something that angels desire to look into. Angels are kind of like, what did he do for these people? Something special about what God has done towards mankind in his saving ways. And so the angel doesn't tell the story of the gospel. He, he sets up a crew to go and pick up Peter and to bring him back as an entourage. So a couple of servants go down there, a devout soldier, one of the, the centurion's hundred goes down there. And at the same time, something awesome is going to be happening down in a place called Joppa. Okay, so if you've got your Bible map maybe opened up on your phone or in the back of your Bible, uh, Israel is kind of a long, narrow nation it has the Mediterranean Sea over on its western shores. Halfway up, maybe a little more, maybe like two-thirds of the way up, is Caesarea right on the seashore. Caesarea Martama, Caesarea by the sea. And about a ten-hour walk below Caesarea is a place called Joppa. Modern-day, Tel Aviv is right there. We're going to fly into Tel Aviv. And then our first day in Israel, we're going to spend in Tel Aviv. And then we're going to go down to Joppa. Okay? Joppa is where Peter's at, hanging out by the seashore. Seashells, Peter's selling seashells by the seashore, however you say it. You know, he's down there by the seashore. And uh, on the roof, we're gonna see what's gonna be happening. And uh, and well let's just read it and then I'll, I'll kind of talk about Joppa just a little bit more. But in on the next day, verse nine, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. So it's about noon o'clock here man of prayer going up kind of like Daniel he had a custom of praying and at at noon o'clock he goes to pray up on the rooftop and uh, like any good meat-eating man he becomes very hungry at noon (laughs) he became very hungry and he wanted to eat but while they made ready he fell into a trance and so I guess was kind of working through this in my brain um the last couple of days like you know in nepal we go to guest houses this year we stayed with a wonderful filipino woman who has a guest house in nepal her name's hannah and i could just picture you know as we're kind of getting ready for the day and we're praying and she's a christian woman and it's about noon and we're gonna go pray and we get the rumbly in our tumbling, you know and we might say oh hey hannah would you mind whipping us up some she made some good sandwiches did you make us some sandwiches and I'm just going to go pray for a while while you're whipping us something to eat. She's like, oh, absolutely. You know. And so you can kind of picture just you know, uh, Peter just loving on uh, Simon's house and Simon's house loving on Peter. And so while they made the food ready, like happens to many of us, strong meat-eating men who at noon o'clock, it's time to eat, and 10 minutes goes by and we haven't eaten yet, we fall into a trance. Am I right? Have you ever been there? He's like, rawr, rawr, rawr. you know. Um, he becomes very hungry and he fell into a trance. This is interesting, is it not? I can already hear a lot of you like, see, it's in the Bible. In fact, it's the Greek word ecstasies. right? It is the Greek word, so don't go there, okay? Let's try to be sober-minded people. bunch of filthy animals. He fell into a trance. The word trance is ecstasy, and it speaks of a displacement of a mind that is bewilderment, ecstasy, but the connotations are that it makes one amazed and astonished. Uh, the Greek scholar Spyros Zodiades defined the Greek word uh, trance here as to remove out of a place or state, uh, or to put anything out of a place. It's a sacred rapture of the mind beyond itself um, when the use of external senses are suspended, And God reveals something in a peculiar manner. So that's what's going on here with Peter. doesn't say he took a pill or dropped something in his drink or anything like that. He was hungry. That's it. Okay. He was hungry and he was praying. All right. And what did he see in his trance? He saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at all four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. So heaven opens, an object like a Greek sheet comes down. This uh, word sheet is also the same word for sail, like on a ship. And so some guys have kind of like, oh, maybe as he was up on the rooftop looking over the Mediterranean and he saw the sails of the ship... You know, sometimes thinking about the sails and now the sails coming down, or maybe as he was up on one of those flat rooftops, maybe there was some sort of an awning or a covering. Uh, We built a deck last summer. Our backyard looks over Barnes Butte and uh, Clay built a deck for us and just loving having a deck. Lived there for 11 years and every time someone would visit, you should put a deck out here. Yeah, I know. You should put a deck out here. 10 years goes by. We're going to do it. All right. Back off. Okay. So we built a deck. And uh, facing east and, and the morning sun, you guys, get so hot. You'll burn your feet on the deck. So uh, just this last week, I put up some posts and I bought one of those sun sails, you know, one of those shades, and I mounted it and I ratchet strapped it tight. And for some reason, it's still hanging, it like hangs down. So I go, I go, coming under my deck, you know, uh, uh, I'm working on it. But maybe there was like a a sail covering over the the outside deck there as Peter was up on the roof praying and and maybe, you know, that, you know, he sees it coming down and he's thinking as the Lord uses that, maybe it was a full-on just cheat coming out of heaven, you know. But whatever it was, doesn't matter. All of these different kinds of animals, clean and unclean, uh, you've got four-footed animals, you got buffaloes, you know, wild beasts, you got the creepy Oh, Got the creepy crawling things that people like to eat for whatever reason, you know. Uh, you got birds of the air in this net, uh, in this sheet coming down, and uh, and most of them were unclean things for Jews to eat. Okay, so if Peter were to see these things coming down, so far he just thinks it's like a nice little hammock full of animals, an animal hammock. My sister had an animal hammock in her bedroom when I was growing up, pinned to the wall. Anybody else have one of those? You pin it to the wall and then you put all your stuffed animals in it. That's what Peter has, stuffed animal hammock coming down out of heaven for him. And a voice came to him in verse 13 and said, Rise up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. Now, not so, Lord, is a phrase that shouldn't come out of our mouths as far as when it comes to obeying the Lord. And yet it's already come out of his mouth twice early on in Jesus' public ministry. But Peter, he's he's come from a life of Judaism, and he has great religious tradition uh, in his heart that's going to make it very difficult for him to rise and kill and eat something that's unclean or common. He's kind of been confined to a box, but Peter is going to learn in this experience that God is not in a box. God is not confined. Uh, It was Charles Spurgeon that said, Peter had pretty much put God in a box of limitations. And now God was going to shake Peter up and change his thinking. He could do the same for us. Shake yourself up a little bit, my brother. If you are too precise, may the Lord set you on fire and consume your bonds of red tape. If you become so improperly proper that you cannot commit a proper impropriety, then pray God to help you be less proper. For there are many who will never be saved by your instrumentality while you study propriety. Try saying that five times fast. If you become so improperly proper, you cannot commit a proper impropriety just be glad you're not sitting right up here right now there's a little spittle going on okay, and so Peter had you know, he'd been following the law and, uh, and he would never touch anything or eat anything that was unclean, and yet the Lord is doing a work right now and getting him to think outside of the box of something that God is doing for the world right now, and so verse 15 of our text A voice spoke to him again a second time and said, hey, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. And then this whole thing was done three times. The sheet coming down, the Lord saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter saying, not so Lord. And then the Lord saying, Hey, what I've cleansed, you can't call common. Okay. Let's do this one more time. Hey, so the sheet comes down out of heaven and there's a whole bunch of animals, clean and unclean, creeping things, beasts. Hey, rise, Peter, kill and eat. You know, okay. You get the picture, right? Uh, my old biology teacher used to tell me that if I repeat things in the lectures, I'm repeating it because it's going to be on the test. Right, and so here three times it's repeated with the sheep, with the animals, with the rise and kill and eat. Don't call it common if I've cleansed it. All right, and uh, and then the object was taken up into heaven again. Uh, the Lord is doing something here that it's beyond talking about meat. Okay, meat and eating. He's doing a work of prepping Peter's heart to go and share the gospel, and more than share the gospel to invite into the family of faith non-Jews who would receive said gospel. Okay? It's been said that the real story of conversion here isn't the conversion of Cornelius. It's the conversion of Peter. Peter's the one in this story who has the great conversion because the Lord is taking him out of racial and religious discrimination to realize that God is the author of salvation, salvation to anyone who would believe, and you know it's a work for us as well. We've gone through a great couple of years of of really checking ourselves on if there be any wicked way in me concerning racism, concerning discrimination. Uh, you know, man. You know, all the things going on, uh, the riots and the rallies and the the movements that have happened across our nation, we as a church have fasted and prayed and gone before the Lord and said, Lord, search my heart, search our heart as a church, search our heart as a state, see if there be any wicked way in me. I've gone to meetings, pastors meetings, discussing race in Crick County, and uh and Man, Lord, just if there's things we need to repent of, if there are things that I need to repent of, I want to uh, repent. And, and it's a good thing to realize, though, that this is not some new movement that's just happened in the last two, three years, uh, you know, around the, the nation. But the message of, of equality, that every man and woman is made in the image of God, is the message of the Bible. That every man is valuable and and loved by God. That salvation is available for them. And that God has great plans to use them for his kingdom. This is a message that anywhere the gospel goes, there is freedom that goes with it. The bonds are broken. It may take some, uh, some time. It may take that message being conveyed and spoken. But freedom will come wherever the gospel goes. So much so that when you read the New Testament, there's not the big message about, hey, free your slaves or stop being racist. The message that's preached is, hey, preach the gospel and watch the Holy Spirit move through transformed hearts and lives and bonds will break naturally. It's what the gospel does. It's what the gospel's done for us. It's what the gospel does uh, in the future. You read the book of Philemon. It's specifically written to a slave owner about someone who's uh, the same guy's slave escaped to go work on the mission field with Paul. And Paul says, you ought not to have escaped to come work with me. You need to go back and talk to your master. And you guys need to sort this out. And the message to the master was, hey, you need to treat this guy like a brother. Receive him back like you would a brother. This is the message of the Bible that we preach and that we go through regularly. But the real conversion here was the conversion of Peter to open up his mind concerning religious and racial discrimination. There was a new race of people on the scene, the race of Christians. Now let's look at verses 17 through 23. Here we see Peter is summoned up to Caesarea. Now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he'd seen meant, Anybody else getting hungry as we read about all these? Oh, Wagyu beef coming down out of heaven. You know? Oh, shrimp cocktail. You know? Delicious. Okay. Um, Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision he'd seen meant, behold, the men who'd been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. Uh, He was inwardly perplexed what this vision uh, uh, could mean. And so they called and they asked whether Simon, whose name was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter was thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So get up and go, Hey, don't doubt anything. I know that this whole sheet thing and you're hungry still... Uh, you know, just don't doubt what I'm doing right now. Go without hesitation. Go without misgiving. So verse 21, Peter went down to the men who'd been sent to him from Cornelius and said, yes, I'm he who you seek. For what reason have you come? And they, uh, and they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God, has a good reputation among all the nations of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. And then he invited them in and lodged them. And on the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa uh, accompanied him. So one thing that you might know while you're reading this story is how God works on both ends of a story. I love this. It, it is something that that informs my life as I'm seeking the Lord for direction. Okay, When I was uh, praying about moving and starting a church somewhere... I was fasting and praying with our church for seven days and I was reading through the book of Acts. I was like, Lord, where would you have me go be a pastor? And, uh, I felt like the Lord pulled out this story from Cornelius's life as well as in Acts chapter 16, the story of the Macedonian man that on my end, I'm praying about where am I supposed to go pastor? But on the other end of the story, there were people that were praying for a pastor and whatever it is that you've got going on in your life, where you need direction or you need something that you need something sold, we've got to sell our house. Bring the right buyer along. Uh, we need this. We need that. Do we go there? Start praying. Start fasting. Start asking the Lord. To, Lord, work over there. Work in that buyer. Provide a buyer. If you're young and single here, and one day you want a husband, right now start praying for your husband. Right now start praying for your wife. Lord, be preparing them on that side of things. And, and the Lord, he'll bring the two together. One man said, we know how perfectly God dug tail his working with Cornelius and his working with Peter. Uh, when I was teaching the middle school group this year, I have a screen. As I'm teaching, I have a map up on there. Or I'll have the scriptures up on there. And I have a map of Israel. And up here you've got Caesarea. And that's where Cornelius is. And then down here you've got Joppa that's where Peter's at and I'm trying to teach the middle schoolers this concept that the Lord works on this end up in Caesarea and the Lord works on this end down in Joppa and he works to bring the two together and I said middle schoolers can you do that bring the two together. You know, and that's what the Lord does. He works on both sides of the equation. Whatever you feel your calling is in life, whatever big thing you've got going on, start praying that the Lord would work on that side as he's working on this side. And that he'll, you guys can do it too, bring the two together. Right. Uh, and so we see them, they head out, it's about a 10, uh, hour journey to get back up to where Cornelius is at. Let's look at it. Verse 24, we're going to try to just kind of breeze through uh, a lot of the rest here as we wrap up today. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down on his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, stand up. I myself am a man also. And so, man, how sweet, you know, Cornelius had been about three days since the original uh, vision of an angel. And so it took about a day for the servants to go down after that, a day for them to come back up. We're on about day four right now. And uh, Cornelius is just waiting outside. He's prepped all of his household and his close friends to hear, what does this guy have to say so that me and my household can be saved? And here comes this apostle. Cornelius doesn't know how to react, you know, so he just falls down and just gives honor to Peter. Peter. And Peter's like, no way, Jose, Like, I don't want to have any part of uh, being worship or homage to me. This is a regular thing in the New Testament where people worship these holy apostles. And, uh, and they say, no, 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 I remember what happened to Lucifer when he was an angel who desired praise. I don't want any of that. Uh, it's interesting, I wonder how Peter would respond today when many people in, say, Catholicism... Uh, revere him in such a way that it, it borderline, if not crosses over to worship. In fact, if you go to St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, there's a statue of St. Peter inside the Basilica that people travel to and they'll kiss Peter's feet. And you can look up this picture online and you'll see that uh, St. Peter's statue, the foot has now uh, globbed over and there's no cracks between the toes anymore because of all the kissing like the toes are now just like squished together and they've, they've kissed Peter's shin and like all of the like bronze or whatever is like rubbed off but you no know, there's just like a bone you know. and like poor Peter St. Peter's statue like there's barely a foot left or a shin left because people have been kissing him for a couple of thousand years and I think Peter would be like not so don't do that get up I'm just a man like you I might be a saint, but you're a saint too if you're a Christian. In the words of John Corson, you're either a saint or you're an ain't, all right? You're either born again and you're a saint, or you're perishing in your sin and you're an ain't, all right? So, uh, you know, let's put some plaster over that worn out foot, you know, let's get back to worshiping Jesus. Um, And so Peter refused to be treated by Cornelius as if he were a god, but he also refused to treat Cornelius like a dog. The Jews used to pray every morning when they woke up, I thank you, God, that I'm not a Gentile, a woman, or a dog. That's what the Jewish men used to pray every morning when they woke up. But the gospel, the great equalizer, shows that all men and women are created equal in value, and worth, and in dignity. And so Peter comes into a Gentile's home, trusting the Lord that this man is going to be cleansed, and I need to actually go into his house. And so verse 27, as he talked with them, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So it it was a big taboo for Peter to go into a Gentile's home. Like that was a big no, no, big taboo. And he kind of says it like, you guys know, like, what a big deal this is that I'm here, right? And they're all like, yeah. He couldn't have asked for a better audience right here. Everyone's gathered together, hanging on his every word. And so he says, verse 29, therefore I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason did you send for me? So Cornelius said, this is, what is this? The third time we've heard this story. You're going to hear it again. For some reason, Luke thinks we need to hear this. Three times, and then a fourth time in Acts chapter 11. So Cornelius says, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and I noticed he was fasting when the Lord met him in a vision. In the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I said to you immediately, and you've done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before you to hear all the things commanded to you by God. And then Peter opened his mouth and said, oh, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. So there's just such a work happening in Peter's life. Do you see how the conversion is happening first? In Peter, He's saying, man, now I'm seeing how the Lord shows no favoritism. That the Lord just, he will draw near to those who draw near to him. Anyone who fears the Lord or would work righteousness would be accepted by him. Uh, I like what John Stott said. The emphasis is that Cornelius' Gentile nationality was acceptable so that he had no need to become a Jew. Not that his own righteousness was adequate so that he had no need to become a Christian. For God is not indifferent of religion, but he's indifferent of nations. And then Lenski asked, if his honest pagan convictions had been sufficient, why did he seek a synagogue? If the synagogue had been enough, why was Peter here? Peter will soon teach him the necessity of faith for salvation. This introduction that Peter gives to Cornelius and his household affirms that there is no racial barrier to Christian salvation. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation can know the salvation that's in Jesus. And so Peter gets into his message, introductions over, verse 36. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. A very fast eight points of Peter's message. Number one, peace. Jesus is a peacemaker. There's peace through Jesus Christ. Number two, in verse 36, we see that he is Lord of all. He's not just the Lord of Israel. He's the Lord of all. He's the Lord of the Romans. Verses 37 and 38. That word which you know that was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. It's the baptismal formula, you guys. Shows the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then Jesus went about doing good and healing those who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. In verse 38, we see the third point of Peter's message. That Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power, he not anointed with oil like other kings. He was anointed by God with the Holy Spirit. The Lord of all was sent to be the son of a carpenter in a town to grow up like all other boys. He wasn't merely Lord of all. He was also a man, a man, the God-man, truly God and truly man, anointed with the Holy Spirit. The fourth point is that Peter lifts up Jesus as a man who was stronger than sin, stronger than the tyranny, tyranny tyrannical, tyrannical power of the devil, stronger than sin. He lived a righteous, good life and he could kick the devil out. In verse 39, we're all witnesses of the things which he did, both in the land of the Jews in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging him on a tree. Uh, Recently was down in Reno and uh, went down and floated Truckee Lake. And uh, if you know me, I'm a big history buff, and as we floated the Truckee River out of Lake Tahoe there, down by Truckee Lake, there's a there's a part of U.S. history that happened right there that you guys may not know of. It is an insane story. I'm waiting for the eight-part mini-series for the Donner Party. Guys, I don't know if you know what happened there, and it's more than just cannibalism, it is a whole big thing that happened there. but. As the Donners were on their way through the desert before they even got to, to Donner Pass, uh, James Reed, uh, killed one of the, one of the teamsters who was driving a wagon and the people were so mad with James Reed that, uh, one man took his wagon tongue and flew it up, propped, propped that wagon tongue up into the sky and wanted to hang James Reed for killing the teamster. And so, man, they were going to hang him from the wagon axle or hang him from the wagon tongue. And so I'm thinking about Jesus hanging on a tree. And I'm like, by the way, he got away. Uh, he ended up fleeing from that situation. And then I'm reading another book about the Overland Expedition when they came and explored Oregon after Lewis and Clark. You might remember a guy named John Day who was a part of the Overland Expedition coming into Shoshone territory, trading all, all kinds of furs and pelts. Well, someone came into his camp and stole one of their golden goblets that the guy was drinking out of. You can't make this stuff up. And so they took one of the natives uh, and they hung him by the boat oars that were put up into the ground. So you could be hung by a wagon tongue. You could be hung by boat oars. Or as Jesus was by the Roman, he was hung on a tree, Peter says. Now, Peter's specifically using this phrase, Hung on a tree. Was Jesus hung on a tree? What was he hung on? A cross, right? A wooden implement. But Deuteronomy tells us that cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. And Galatians tells us that Jesus became a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Peter uses this language to tell Cornelius that Jesus took upon himself the curse that was upon us. The curse towards sinner. Jesus was our substitute, becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. And so, <clears throat> Peter lifts up Jesus, number five, is a man who's killed in spite of his goodness. Number 40, verse 40, you guys, we're just cruising through this. We're going to have the worship, pack. worship team. You guys want to come on up? See, that just tells you, this guy's serious about ending this thing. Okay? Okay. And then they'll just hang out here for like 30 minutes or so, looking at my back, and it'll be great. Okay. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. So there's a pattern in the book of Acts, and it, it was kind of an ancient way of sharing the gospel, that they would just tell the story of what Jesus did. But it always would include the resurrection. A lot of people will stop telling the gospel about Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And that is great. And that is wonderful. And that helps us understand the sin problem. But it didn't do anything if Jesus stayed dead in the ground. One sinner dying for other sinners. It took a holy, spotless, blameless person who would be vindicated after his death by resurrecting from the dead to set the tallies straight and to redeem us from our sin. And so he was resurrected. He was showed openly, not to all the people, but to the witnesses that were chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So Peter shares about his uh, eyewitnessing. This is the sixth point that Peter lifts up Jesus as the resurrected Lord alive from the dead. Verse 42, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. So the seventh thing that Peter points out about Jesus is that this Lord of all is also the final judge of every person in the universe, whether dead or alive. So you have no excuse today to say that nobody ever told you that Jesus was going to judge you. Here we've read it. There will be a day of judgment. You'll stand before the Lord. Where are you going to stand at during this court hearing? Are you going to stand as your own attorney giving a defense for your own life only to find what Romans 3 said to be true, that you are not righteous, not even close, and you have asps, lips? The Lord's just going to show you, hey, remember when you said this? Asps, lisps. Lisps? You got to say it with a lips what do you say, it? okay? Yeah? You remember what a wicked person you are? Romans tells us that every person that's opened up their jaw and has it flapping to talk about what a great and awesome person that they are before the Lord, that their mouth will be stopped and every everyone will be found a liar. No one will be able to be found righteous before the Lord. They must come before the righteous judge having an attorney for them, the attorney of Jesus who gave his life for our sins. And those who have Jesus as their attorney, the judge will look at Jesus and say, This individual is justified, just as if they'd never sinned because of the blood of Jesus. Verse, verse 43 To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sin. So the eighth and final thing here is Peter lifts of Jesus as the one you must believe in to have forgiveness of sins. And I ask you today, on a wonderful day where we hear that every race, tribe, tongue, and people can be forgiven and saved, I want to ask you today, do you have forgiveness of sins? Have you received the wiping away of your iniquities that comes through Jesus Christ? Where every bad thing you've ever done, thought, or said is forgotten and forgiven. As the psalmist says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he takes our sins away from us. Today the message is for you, that Jesus, the Lord of all, who lived a good and perfect life, and who had the power over the devil, who died a death of substitution for you, that hung on the, on the cross for your sins, and rose from the dead for you, the one who will judge all the world, that he's also the one that will forgive you of your sin. This phrase crashes through the barrier of race and nationality. Whoever would believe in him will have forgiveness of sins. Well, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on everyone who heard the word. Like He's just preaching a message, and the Holy Spirit falls on everyone there at Cornelius' house. F.F. Bruce called it, the Pentecost of the Gentile world. And those of the circumcision who believed, they were astonished because as many, uh, anyone who came with Peter was astonished because the gift of the Holy Spirit has now been poured out upon the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And then Peter answered, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Peter answered, can anyone, verse 47... Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then they asked him to stay a few days. I'm going to grab my guitar real quick and then uh, we'll close out here. I know that there's a lot there, you guys. I know that this is a, a full Sunday. But man, it is a wonderful Sunday to hear that the story of Jesus is for all who would call upon his name. The forgiveness of our sins is for anyone who would draw near to him even today and recognize that they are a sinner, a great sinner, in need of a great savior. And so today, if that's you and you know that God has drawn you to this park today to hear such a message, right where you're at, I welcome you to have an experience very similar to that that Cornelius had very similar to that that his household had and his friends. And that is that while they heard the message they believed. There didn't have to be any music playing or didn't have to be an altar call you didn't have to come forward you didn't have to raise your hand it just happened while they were listening that they believed in the message. And so I want to invite you to that today. They're like a little child full of faith. You would put your trust in the Lord. You may not understand everything. Cornelius and his house, they had a lot of growing to do, a lot of learning to do, but in the most basic elementary principle, they realized they were sinners and Jesus was a Savior. If that's you today, and you recognize the things that you've done and the way that you have been an offense to God. The way that your sin has messed up your life and ruined relationships and built a big wall between you and the Lord. Today there's great joy to know that he comes like a hero. And he breaks down the middle wall of separation. Separation. And he brings life and restoration and resurrection. And he opens up your eyes to see again. He opens up your ears to hear again. He takes your heart that is hard and calloused. And he softens it. He makes it moldable and pliable. If you're here today and you know that message is for you, I I invite you to just receive it by faith and to just say to the Lord, Lord, I receive this forgiveness. I receive this soft heart that you want to give me. I receive sight again and open ears again, Lord. I want to be forgiven of my sins. Crazy thing of this passage is that Just while they're sitting there, listen to the message, they get baptized with the Holy Spirit. They have gifts of the Spirit just happen to them while they're while they're sitting there. They just begin to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. It's just incredible. They haven't even been baptized yet. Just crazy to show like God's not in a box, you know, in like the order of things. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and I want to pray that for you today as well. Today, if you believe in Jesus, that the Holy Spirit would come upon you in power today. Not only would you have salvation, forgiveness of sins, a a new life, a new heart, a new mind to live a new life for him. But you would also have power from the Holy Spirit to to live in all that he had for you. I invite you to that today. And then I want to invite you to something else as well. At the end of our story, after the message and after the Holy Spirit moved in their midst and there was prophecy and there was tongues, there was water. And they were baptized with water. I want to invite you to the waters of baptism. Some of you saw Ken Curvin. He was an elder up here today. Speaking about a one, I'm going to have Ken go back to the baptismal. I'm going to have Joe go back to the baptismal. And these two elders in our church are going to be back at the water. They're going to be available to baptize anybody that finds themselves in a place like Cornelius' household. But today you've come to know Jesus. You've come to be forgiven by Jesus. Today I'm just praying over you that the Holy Spirit would come upon you and give you great power and great gifts. There's so much to learn about that, but just, man, that's available for you today. But then also great baptism. That as the Lord has moved in your life today, you can make a public stand and just say to the world, you can say to the people here under these tents and say to your friends and family, you can say, I'm a new creation today. The old me is dead there's a new me that's alive for Jesus and that's exactly what baptism is, it's a picture of the old you with all of your sin and rebellion and selfishness and living like your way on your terms doing it how you want to and just, just doing sex your way and doing pleasure your way and doing Sundays your way doing church your way, doing discipleship your way, doing friendships your way, doing community your way Doing hobbies your way. Whatever it is, you've been doing it your way. And today you're saying, you know what? My way is dead. Buried in the waters of baptism. But today there's a new me in Jesus Christ. And just as he rose from the dead, I'm rising up out of the waters for this new life in Christ Jesus. And so we invite you to the waters if that's you. Maybe today that would be a new fresh thing done for you. Or maybe you've been a Christian for many years and you've never taken that step to be baptized in obedience of the scriptures. We invite you to the waters today. So during this next song, you can move that direction and we can kind of pivot and, and just be just be aware the waters are there. And This song that we're going to sing, it starts out saying, I'm laying down my life I'm giving up control. I'm never looking back. I surrender all. I'm living for your glory on the earth. And that's what we invite you to over at the waters of baptism with Ken and Joe. It's for you who would say today, I'm laying down my life. I'm giving up control. I surrender all. And the chorus is a very missionary chorus. That we want to live for the sake of the world. For every soul, every Cornelius that's out there that's never heard the message of Jesus. That they would hear. That they would be saved. Let's close that way today with this final song. Move towards the baptism if that's you. Don't disobey the Lord today. Be obedient to the prompting of the Lord on your heart. So Lord, today, as we have uh, just seen this great big picture of your love for the world and just the transformation of hearts, Lord, that, uh, that we would have hearts for the world to know you, a care for the villages out there and uh, for the deserts, for the jungles, for the plains, for the mountains that are inhabited with people who've never heard about you. God, burn like a fire in us for them. And Lord, for those of us that we know that we've been in a Cornelius-type state, maybe even very polished and good on the outside, maybe even just many things that that uh, have come before you as a memorial, and, and you've just been working and drawing us to you, Lord. We pray today would just be that day of absolute surrender, laying down our life, giving up control, never looking back, surrendering all, Lord. Or as I just see someone in the baptismal over there, Lord, just someone who's wanting to give up their life, a young life given over for you, Lord. Right now, we just pray blessing on that. A little one who's just saying, Hey, I'm giving up my life. I want to live for Jesus. Let there be just a special blessing on that individual that they would become like a Cornelius who would then go out into the world and effect great change in their regiment for you, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, you guys. Well, thanks for sticking around a little longer. Man, two weeks off, and I think I'm going to tackle this whole chapter, chapter 10, something like 48 verses. We're doing it. Alright, you guys totally stuck here. God bless you guys. Have a great Lord's Day. Have a great uh, afternoon. And uh, man, yeah, can you just go ahead and you just pray for the people. If anyone's going to be baptized today, you just, you and Joe over there. God bless you guys. Have a great Sunday afternoon.